are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's read in verse 19, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He said unto the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and look at verse number 12. Philippians 3 and verse number 12. You know, Paul spoke so much in his life about a race that he was in. And friend, we are in a race today. You remember, before I read this scripture, in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul says we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, and let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, you see. So there's a race. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talked about that. He said, I've been set free by the grace of God. I mean, they're not condemned, and I'm on my way to heaven. But yet Paul says, I've made myself servant unto all that I might by all means win some. I wonder tonight, are we willing to be a servant? You know, a servant is somebody that doesn't have their way. A servant is somebody who listens to the master. And you and I should be counted word, or we should be counted, counted an honor to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about James the other day in the book of James. Lord willing, I'm going to teach on the book of James sometime in prayer meetings started verse by verse. But you know, James was actually the brother of Jesus Christ, earthly speaking. And yet, if you remember, he starts his book and he says, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Although he was born in the same home with Jesus, he saw Jesus as Lord, and he says, I'm glad to be counted a servant of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be count, ought, ought to be glad to be counted a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just to serve him is everything. Now Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He's in prison. 
prison in Rome, and he's writing to them about a race and about a goals in life and so on and so forth. Look in verse number 12. Paul says, Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice here what Paul is saying. Paul says here in verse number 12, not as though I had already attained. Now, if you remember, if you go back in verse 10, Paul lets us know he's satisfied with Jesus. But in verse 12, he's not satisfied with himself. He said, I've not arrived yet. I've not attained. Now, my friend, that's very important for you and I to realize that we have not arrived yet. You know, sometime we get to the place that we think, brother, we've arrived. And uh, and as long as we look at other people and compare ourselves with other people, we'll live in a complacent uh, a, a time in our life and we'll feel like I'm getting along pretty good. You know, that's the danger of gospel like Baptist Church. I don't know of a church in this country that's been blessed any more than gospel like Baptist Church. Do you? I really don't. I don't know of one that's been blessed anywhere in this country any more than this church. And and I don't know of anything this church has done uh, to cause or that that is the, anything any merits we've done uh, to 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 cause God to bless us. I don't know of anything. I don't know of anything. Uh, people say, well, what do you do? People have asked me. Doctor Jack Hiles asked me years ago. He said, uh, tell me some things about gospel light. I understand they have great, have great crowds. And he said, do you have a strong visitation? And he began to name different things and we didn't have. And, and he said, well, I'd like to know something so I can tell people all over the country about gospel light. And I said, well, Dr. Hiles, I appreciate your concern. But I said, uh, you tell people, if you want to tell people, you tell people that God's doing something at gospel light that the pastor don't even understand. And he's just enjoying and it's just God's mercy and goodness and grace and that's it. And you can't explain it, my friend. You can't explain it, you see. And I'm saying this, as a church, you and I can get to the place that we kind of feel like we have attained or we have arrived. And when we get to that place, we are in bad shape, my friend. God cannot help a person unless to see the need of help. And if you and I feel like that we have arrived and, uh, my, we get along financially, we pay our bills, we're planning to build a new building, and uh, we have... Sometimes when it works, we have air condition occasionally. And uh, then if we don't, we have plenty of heat and uh, we have nice carpet and uh, we've got restrooms and uh, we've got nice parking lots and uh, you name it. We've got uh, we've got nice buses. I mean, used to we had them things where had holes all in them, you know, and and uh, people freeze to death on Sunday trying to get to church. And it was tough to drive them. Then the first thing you know, uh, we bought a few with power steering and they like that. And then the first thing you know, we got some with automatic transmission and they're like that and now they say but i'm not going to drive that thing don't have 
power steering on it. I'm not going to drive that one. It's not automatic. And and uh, we have we have we've been blessed with our school. I mean, we've got I think as much uh, nice equipment in this place as any school in the country. And I I'm grateful to God for it. I believe that. And I'm afraid that we have took for granted these things. And we feel like we've arrived and we've got something. And we can sit back now and we can just say, soul, take it easy. You've got it made. And that's a dangerous place to get in, in my life or in your life or in a church life or any life. And the Apostle Paul, the reason that he says, I've not already attained is uh, that Paul didn't measure himself by the neighboring church or by the neighboring people, but Paul measured himself by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we measure ourselves by the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll have to say, I have not yet attained also. And that's the one we need to measure by all the time. See, I'm not going to stand before you. I'm going to stand before God one day in the same way that you are. And we need to remember that, you see. And Paul said this in verse 12 also. Neither were already perfect or already matured or already complete, Paul says. I'm not yet complete. It's dangerous, like I said, when we feel that away. You remember the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter? three, that church said, why, uh, man, we're alive. And they were dead. Uh, they thought they were all right. Uh, and God says they had a name that they lived, but they were dead. Uh, you remember the church, the Laodian church? Uh, they said, we've increased in goods uh, and we have need for nothing. That's a bad condition to get in. But God said, you're poor and wretched and blind and don't even realize what kind of shape you're in. But how about the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation? You remember the church at Smyrna was poor people and went through a lot of persecutions and trials and troubles. And the Lord said, I know that you're poor. But he said, really, you're rich, you see. You're rich. And so Paul said, I haven't attained. Neither am I yet Perfect, Paul says, and it's good to recognize that that there's a whole lot of improvement in our life that we need to improve a whole lot. And Paul realized that, but he said, look what he said in verse 12, but I follow after I'm going on, Paul said. I called the preacher up in the country where I preached last week. Uh, I wished everybody could visit that place up there in Gid Brown Holler. Man alive, you're at the end of the road when you get to Gid Brown Holler. Way back there next to the creek, a little building seat about a hundred people, and uh, and a big old creek running right beside of it. Couldn't expand if they wanted to. Have no room to expand whatsoever. Have built them a little uh, just beside the creek. They went out in front of the auditorium and built them a little building about the size of our little utility building down here at the cemetery where we keep tools in, and they have Sunday school in that, and they're thrilled to death that they've got Sunday school in there. They don't have any running water, neither do they have any standing water, except they want to go out and get some creek water they can. Uh, they have no inside toilets. Uh, they just have the Johnnies out in the woods, and you go across the creek uh, and over in the woods, and people don't run in out up there much either. Uh, uh, they decide they don't care that much about going to the restroom. They really don't have to go, you know, when you got to go out 
outside in the cold, in the snow, and in the rain, and across the creek, and over there, uh, uh, over down the path after you get over there, they don't have to go. And the parking lot, uh, no parking lot, just a little spot in front. If you get there first, you're supposed to pull in as far as you can uh, towards the building, and uh, and the next fella pulls in here, and then three and four deep. You say, man, well, how you get out? You just wait till that man gets out. That's all you wait. You just wait. You just have to stay in good fellowship when you get there. I mean, no, everybody just has to want, you just run your car in there, and there's about, about 12 cars is all the places for, and no more places, I mean. And, um, I talked to the preacher just one day this week, and I said, John, how are you getting along? And he said, well, doing pretty good, brother Bobby. But he says, I think I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, what's that, brother John? He said, I think I'll just go on. I said, that's the thing to do. Just go on. Well, that's what Paul said here. Paul says, I haven't attained yet. He said, I'm not perfect yet. But he says, I'm following after. I'm sure working on it. My friend, it's not time to quit now. It's time to go on. Amen. He said, I'm just following on. I'm following on. You say, well, I'm so tired. I think I'll just give it. No, no, this is not the quitting place. We're in a race. And I tell you, if you quit here, you'll sure lose out. Because we're not at the end yet. And Paul says, I'm falling after that in verse number 12. He said, uh, uh, he said, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And he says in verse number 13, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now, friend, we have too many irons in the fire these days, don't want to serve God. I mean, God's kind of a sideline to us. You know, I mean, if it don't affect my job, I mean, after all, I've got to make a living, and that's true. But I've got to make a little more than a living. See, the love of the money is still the root of all evil, you see. And I just got to go. A fellow said to me the other day, he said, I've got a promotion offered to me on my job, but it's going to take me out of church. I can't get here Sunday night. I can't get here Sunday morning. And I already can't get here Wednesday night like it is because of work. And Brother Bobby, would you take it? I said, do you have to take it? And said, no. I said, forget it. God don't lead you in something to lead you away from Him, my friend. This one thing I do, Paul said. Paul had one goal in his mind, and that was to please the Lord. And that's what we ought to have above everything else. About 20 years ago, I was preaching a meeting at a church, and I went in a hardware store and uh, met one of the laymen in the uh, the church. He run a hardware store. And I said, sir, you run this hardware store, don't you? And he said, well, yes, sir. He said, I do this, preacher, on the sideline to make a living, but I serve the Lord first of all. And I like that. I like that. The Lord ought to have first place, you see. And Paul said, this one thing I do. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Uh, trying to go two ways at one time, man, you'll get tore apart. Uh, this one thing I do, Paul says. Um, and I like this. Notice, forgetting those things which are behind. Oh, we live so much in the, in, in the, in the back in, behind us all the time. Uh, I mean, we just, uh, we talk about everything. Listen, if you ever notice a person that gets bogged down, you know what to talk about? Something happened years ago or happened yesterday. Now, friend, forget those things back there. There's no way you can, I can undo yesterday. I mean, you can do all you want to and you can have all the money you please, but you can't call back yesterday. No way in the world. So if we can't call it back, if it's a bad day, let's forget it. If it's a good day, let's forget it. And let's look for tomorrow, you see. 
forgetting those things which are behind. You say, preacher, I can't forget them. Well, there's one thing you can do. You cannot let them control your life. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. I mean, you can't help things come into your mind back yonder, but you don't let them have to control your mind, you see. And Paul said, I'm not living in the past. I'm looking to the future. Forgetting those things which are behind, he says. And he says this, and I'm reaching forth under those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I was talking to a member of our church this week, and they had some problems sitting in my office, and and it's talking about some things that happened in the past and and how it had been defeated. And I I quoted this verse of Scripture here. I said, why don't you just forget the things in the past? And I said, get some marks in your life. And then as I said that, I said, fella, I believe the Lord just gave me a sermon for Sunday. I said, we need to get some marks in our life if we're going to receive the prize at the end of the journey. Now, Paul says, I, uh, here in this last verse I read, Paul says, I press, I press. You know, when you have to press, it's not easy to go. You ever get through a crowd, just have to press and push and, 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 you know, it don't come handy. But Paul says, I'm pressing on and I'm pressing towards the mark for the high calling of God that I might receive the prize that God has for me. I didn't get to see many of these ball games. I went over yesterday morning for a few minutes and I was thinking on this scripture. And I watched as Brother Don Cruz spent a long time, I'm sure, many hours practicing this season. And Steve and all the other coaches, I know Steve did. I know he preached here once in a while here in yonder. And he had run out of the gym and, and I don't know where he changed clothes over there or what, but get in his car and take off and preach and have to practice. And they practiced every, all three or four afternoons. And I've been over and watched them practice and they'd run here and there, the crowd is a sweat. You know, and uh, they'd say, now get here and do this and do. I didn't know what it's all about, but I enjoyed watching them, you know, and let's tell them how to get their plays here and how to get their plays. And they spent a lot of time. These coaches sweated a lot of hours. And these boys and these girls played ball. They spent a long time practicing. I mean, they practiced a whole lot more than they played games, you see. It took a lot of practicing. And I thought about all of that yesterday. And I walked in. And I seen the last part of the girls' team playing, and uh, I saw them lose by two points. And when that winning team won, good gracious alive, those girls come unglued. I mean, they got out there on the court, and they hugged each other, and I think they finally throwed one down, and four or five was on top of her, and, and they acted like they was crazy. They really did. And here's a crowd over here, one by two points. And they're just a hooping and a hollering and a jumping and a hugging and a knocking each other down. And over here on the other side is some little old girls. You know, I watched it, some of our girls, and they were actually crying because they lost the game. They were broken hearted and they just cried and cried and they walked off. And I said, Lord, you know, after a while, on some this time this afternoon, they're going to get some trophies out here. That ain't mean a whole lot to these kids, but as far as eternal things, they don't mean too much. Then I saw our boys practically the same way. And I saw 
Woodland, I believe. Woodland, they played. And I saw Woodland when they won. Man, they jumped and they hollered and they clapped their hands and they shouted and they hooped and they hollered and they jumped. But our boys just dropped their head and walked on into the dressing room and probably done a little sniffing in there and a crying too. I mean, they felt defeated. Man, them guys worked all the year hard and they worked to win. And they didn't come out on top. And by the way, they weren't the only one. A whole lot of them didn't come out on top. And then sometime I left, but sometime yesterday afternoon, they'd call this out. The cheerleaders the same way. These little girls, they jump all around here all the time. You'll see them. Sometime I walk out on the back porch and they're jumping around. Whether they're practicing or not, they practice all the time. They jump all around outside the building. They're clapping and they're going, you know, and they're doing their, they're doing their chairs. I mean, all from the very time they put in, I mean, till the end, they just practice where they're practicing or not. And they practice to win first. And don't think they won first. Somebody won. And whoever won the first place in the basketball tournaments, and they've been on TV, and you know, you've been listening to them. I don't know who's playing. I'm like the fellow went in the hospital yesterday, and some woman come running in the in the soda shop, and she said, who won? Who won? And old boy, black boy back behind the counter said, I don't even know who's playing. And I thought, well, you like me, buddy. <laughs> you you don't know. Either. That woman's running around there. I want to know who won. Looked at me. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know who's playing. I honestly didn't. And the old boy said, I don't even know who's playing. But the last few days, all these tournaments have been going on and trophies have been passed out and trophies have been passed out and uh, folks have got happy and they've shouted and they've had a time, you know. And then there's some that's wept and all of that. And they'll put those trophies on the shelf. And they can say, boy, look what we done, look what we done. But in a few years, it'll all be gone. Won't mount a thing. Won't mount to a thing, my friend. Listen to me. This is what I'm getting down to. I want, to. I want to give you some marks tonight to have in our life that will bring a prize one day that you get a trophy that will never, it will never tarnish. You're talking about one that won't turn, bless God. That's what I'm talking about. That's the one. Oh, if somehow we could somehow lose the glimpse of materialism and get our eyes on eternal things, we could do something, my friend. Paul says everything we look at is only temporal, but the things we don't see are eternal. Let me give you some simple marks in our life. I press toward the mark. Number one, make sure you have the mark of conversion. Now you can't, you can't attain, you can't win a prize unless you're saved. Unless you're saved. I'm afraid we got a lot of folks that think they're running because they're a member of a church. They may be a member of gospel life. They might have been baptized and all of that, but they've never been saved. Now my friend, there's some marks of true conversion. When I talk about conversion, it's coming to the place in life that we know that we're sinners. And nobody ever gets saved unless they admit they're sinners. I never got saved till I admitted I'm a sinner. Folks used to say, boy, I know your daddy. He's one of the finest men in this country, and he was. Your daddy's a preacher, and you're a fine boy, and I like that. And I'd pat myself on the back. Well, let me tell you something. I never got converted until I realized that I was a sinner, hopeless and helpless and on my way to hell. And my daddy's religion and nobody else's wouldn't take me to heaven. And I was a sinner 
And I was going to split hell wide open unless I got born again. And when I came to that place, that's our problem today is getting people lost. Don't go out and ask people if they believe. Why, the devil believes. Go out and ask people if they know they're lost. A man's got to see himself lost. Listen, Jesus said, I didn't come to call righteous people. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. So a man cannot be converted until he admits and recognizes that I am a sinner. And I want to ask you tonight, has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever recognized how mean and ungodly you are? Or have you always said, well, I'm not so bad? Like a fellow I was witnessing to in the hospital a few years ago. I said, sir, are you saved? He said, no, sir. I started telling him how to get saved. And I said, you don't want to go to hell. And he stopped me. And he said, now, just a minute, man. I'm not that kind. You don't know what a good man I am. Listen, I want to tell you, you go to, and he started telling me banks that I could go to, and he wanted me to go find out how good his credit was in some banks. Now, that man didn't believe he was lost. I could have got a profession out of him and run out and say, oh, got somebody. But that man didn't get saved like that. He's going to have to see that all his righteousness don't amount to hill of beans as far as getting him to heaven, that he's got to be born again. He's got to have Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I'm asking you tonight, do you have number one, Mark? Has there been a time in your life that you know, that you know, that you was born into God's family, that you was changed, that old things passed away, and behold, all things come new? Has that happened in your life when you've had an experience of God's grace in your life? Brother, when that load of sin was lifted, and when Jesus Christ came into your heart, has that happened? I was witnessing to a man the other day. And I said, sir, are you saved? He said, well, I don't know where I'm saved like you talking about or not. He said, I took some lessons in our church. And I went through some classes and so on. And he says, then I joined the church. I wouldn't tell him my way of being saved. I was telling him what the Bible said. You can take every lesson you want to. But the Bible still says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, you see. And a man's got to be born again. A man's got to have a spiritual birth. A man's got to come to God as a bankrupt sinner before he'll ever get saved. God never saves good people. And you know people are so self-righteous today. You go to the jails and you'd be surprised how self-righteous they are. Man, I've talked to them in the jail. And they start telling me how good they are. What are you doing in here? Well, made a little mistake. You know, God don't save you if you make mistakes. God saves you if you're a sinner. And so I'm saying, number one, do you have the mark of true conversion? Have you been saved? Number two, after you're saved, let's have the marks of convictions. The marks. Now listen, folks. We need to have us some convictions based on the Word of God. And stand for those convictions because, listen, there is a prize. There is a trophy at the end of this life. And it's not for the compromiser. It's for the person who stands for Bible convictions. Now, number one, this is the Word of God. This is God's Word. You say, I know it. Don't let nobody ever tell you it's not God's Word. Now, listen to me, young people. Someday you'll go off to college. And don't you never let nobody in any college put a doubt in your mind that this is not the Word of God. Don't you do that. You just base it right now and make up your mind and know that's the Bible. That's God's eternal word, my friend. 
I don't care where they've been, what they think they know. Don't let them sway you off your feet about this book. This is God's eternal word, my friend. Now, I've noticed this. A church that stands for this book right here usually has the blessings of God upon it. Now, you watch what I'm trying to tell you. You show me a church, a preacher, or a college that tries to pick apart this book. I get disturbed when we send kids to college and a professor tries to tell them what this should have been and that should have been. The other day, one of our men who's here in the church came to me last Sunday night and he's not in a college, but he's taking a correspondence course and he got a book from Dr. Bottlestopper somewhere. And uh, he's trying to teach him in there. And he said this in his book, said this really should not have been in the King James Version. And that seller said, Preacher, what am I going to do? Isn't this the Word of God? I said, Sure, it's the Word of God. And I said, If it keeps on and God keeps on nudging, I said, Bless God, we'll get some of our teachers here in the church that believe the Word of God, and we'll start us a Bible institute so you can go and hear the Word of God again. My friend, I disturb when people say, This is not the Word of God. Don't you get too smart for this old book right here. I'm saying have convictions. This is God's eternal word. My old dad taught me this when I couldn't even walk. God, my dad said, this is the book. This is the word of God. And brother, if you want my blood to boil, don't you come around me and start trying to tell me this ought not be in there. Brother, you'll get me fighting for you not. I love this book right here. I love this book. If it's not God's word, Don't let me know it, because I'm enjoying believing it's the Word of God. And it sure does work. And as long as anything works, I don't want anything else. I don't want anything else. Get that settled, young people, in your mind. Get that conviction. This is God's eternal Word. And you keep that in mind. Now, let me I could mention some convictions. Then let's get this marked down. I'm talking about some prizes that you'll win someday at the end of the journey. Have convictions about your church life. So many people don't have convictions about church life. About Sunday school. We've got members of our church. Have been members for years. Don't work on bus routes, but just not even members of the Sunday school class. Some of them drop in this class, they drop in that class. We have 40 or 50 visitors in my class every Sunday, and they're not really visitors. Just people who decide to go to Sunday school next Sunday. They may not go to Sunday school. They may wait and come in for preaching. Now, let me tell you something, folks. You're setting a bad example for your youngins there. You're not saying the teaching of the Word of God is very important. That's what you're saying. You better, you better let them know that we go to Sunday school. That's the time to hear the Word teach, you see. And Sunday school is very important. And get that settled. And, and I mean, I don't mean just tonight. I mean, I mean on and on and on. Get it settled. We're going to Sunday school. And we're going to stay for preaching. And we're going to be there on Sunday night. And we're going to be there on Wednesday night. Now those are some convictions. You say, preacher, I hear you rap on them all the time. Well, if I live and you live, you'll hear me again. When I know something works, I'm going to stick with it. And I don't care how much you learn or how smart you get. If you don't get you some convictions and get your feet on the solid rock and the things that are solid like church and Sunday school and learn to be consistent and faithful of those things, God will never bless you. And He'll never bless your family, my friend. So get that settled. 
about Sunday school and church and be faithful in those areas. And then do this. Parents, get settled about discipline your children. I get so disturbed. I don't mean treat them like dogs, and I'm not going into a lot of scriptures tonight, but I mean making those kids mine. I mean discipline those kids. It's important. Kids run loose today. Kids are not taught to work. Yesterday over at the hospital, I tried to get you a cup of coffee. It took me ten minutes to get it. That crowd couldn't even get a cup of coffee out hardly. I stopped it. I, I stopped it all eating. Play. I stopped it. I can't believe it's yogurt over yonder. And I almost walked out. Little old girl back there, I thought she was going to never get waited on anybody. I told my wife, I said, this younger generation is too stupid to work. They don't even know how to work. That's stolid. But that's true. But you know what's, and that word stupid is not right, is it? But listen, I'm saying this. The problem is, listen, the problem is dad and mom have not taught them some responsibilities and to work. Last night we had a board meeting. I believe it was Tom Overy mentioned, said his boy wanted to go to a ball game or something. He says, you won't go, going somewhere I think. He says, you won't go till you get the work done that I told you to do. Now that's what I'm talking about, my friend. Listen, you bring a youngin up and get him in high school and let him play all the sports. That's good and fine. That's good and fine, not a thing. Let him play all the sports. Let him get on the a society page and let him look at him and all of that. And send him off to college. And let him stay four or five years. And that's good and fine. And then let him get out of college. And if he's never been taught any responsibility, he'll not be worth a dime. He'll run around in this country trying to find a job with all the work took out of it. And he won't work. He won't work in a pie factory in the tasting department. That's it. That's it. And that's what's wrong. Don't you say, well, I don't want my youngest to have the hard time I had. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I do. I do. Brother, listen. I'm not saying I'm a good example. I never run and bought my youngins cars when they, I couldn't for one thing. And another thing, I had convictions. I said, bless God, if they get them a car, let them work for one. And when they start paying payments on it, and they start squalling them tires and tearing up them transmissions. Tear one up, old boy. It'll sit in the backyard till you fix it. Do that a little while. That's not hard. You're helping that kid when you do that. Man, today, six in the family and all six cars sitting out there. Making so uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of pay. Can't hardly go. Can't let little Junior do anything. Bless his little heart. Well, he won't. You just leave him alone. He won't. My old grandmother used to tell me, she said, son, you're going to get stunted. You're too little to work like you are. My daddy, as you know, died when I was 12 years old. I, I feel for these little boys and girls around here. I know them. They come up without a daddy in this life. I used to go out and cut cordwood when I was 12 and 13 years old and pull an old crosscut saw. I'm not talking about one with a motor in it. I'm talking about a crosscut saw. You know what I'm talking about. And cut wood all day. And get that old mule, old Matt out there. He's as stubborn. He is a mule and he's stubborn as a mule too. And get him out there at that little one horse wagon. And strain myself at 14 years old. Trying to lift that stuff up on a wagon. And hauling it up there at the old tobacco barn. And then stay up. Go out there early in the morning at daylight. 
and start get down under them wet primings. You talking about brother testing your religion? That's a good way. Get down there in them first primings when it's real wet, and get down there and get real wet and slap that stuff all around you. And long about ten o'clock in the morning, your supper, your, your lunch—I mean, your breakfast—is gone, and it feels like you're eating green tobacco. And they say now you can have a watermelon, and you eat a watermelon last till noon, and you take off for thirty minutes and get you a pot of pintos and some cornbread, and back out in the hot field you go all day, and go till night, and then the fellow says, "I appreciate you helping me today, Bobby." Hands you fifty cents. Fifty cents. First few times I got twenty-five cents. Not an hour, but a day. And finally I got a raise to fifty cents a day. Huh, some of you youngins say, I wouldn't look. I know the reason you will, cause your daddy has given you everything. That's what's the matter. But if you didn't know where you was going to get your nickel to get your Pepsi, bless God, you'd have worked all day to get your fifty cents. And many days I worked all day long for fifty cents. And then get a lantern and hang it up in the old barn and you ain't, some of you ain't been to first base yet. Get up there and get up in the old barn and, and hang that stuff by the lantern at night and sweat. You talking about sweat and then come in and eat supper and then go to another barn and lay out there on some old uh, slabs and two befores all night long and sleep an hour or two and get up and chunk up the fires to keep it going all night long. You say, preacher, that's a sin. I didn't know it till John Rice came to this country. I didn't hear anything about it. I was raised up in it all my life. And it didn't stun me. My grandma used to say, boy, I'm afraid you're going to stun yourself and hurt yourself. And I'm not boasting. I'm just saying it helped me along the way. And my blessed mother had a struggle trying to raise three little boys, one nine and one twelve and one thirteen, on a little over a hundred dollars a month. Social Security, it was tough in those days. Mama didn't have the money. And I had to save out of that fifty cents a day to get me some blue jeans uh, so I could wear them to school uh, in the fall when the school started. Uh, and I didn't wear a pair every day, a different pair. Bless God, I wore a pair a week. And if I fell in a mud hole on Monday, I toughed it out through Friday night. And then Mama would wash them. Go down behind the old wash, the old, uh, down there behind the hedge, uh, the old black wash pot, uh, and uh, and get the fire going uh, and put the clothes in there. And bless her old sweetheart, I've seen her rub a many of them out on that old board. No, didn't even have the old Maytag in that day. But now if I don't have everything to my point, I'm going to leave him or her. What's wrong, my friend? Because we haven't taught them something. I'm talking about, bless God, just some old-fashioned common horse sense we need to get back to. Bill Blackburn's in Florida now. Bill's one of our deacons. Bill's about, I think Bill just turned 59 or 60, about 60 years old. Raised poor, there's some of his brothers here and some of the rest of his folk in our church. They're just a poor old farming crowd. Old Bill has used some common sense. I'm just using him as an example since he's not here. He can he can fix most anything that needs to be fixed. You say, where did he get his training? Out yonder in the feed barn and out yonder to the back of barn and out yonder working and just having to do things. And old Bill, he's got a home in Florida. He built it. He's got one here. And he's got one down High Rock. And i got a key to all of them except the one here. 
I mean, man, bless God, I got it made. He just said, preacher, you and your wife go. I don't have time to go, but I mean, I, I mean, but Bill says I bought this old piece of, uh, old, uh, building and I done this preacher and it's not much, and it's real nice. It's real nice. Bill's talked about how he made it from a little boy. He's writing to me somewhere the other day and he said, you know, he said, preacher, never forget what my old daddy's told me. He said, you know, back yonder when I was just a young fella, he said five dollars was really five dollars. He said, my daddy said, Billy, I know you'd like to get a five dollar a week raise. But he said, son, I'm going to tell you what's the truth. If you'll learn to save five dollars a week, You'll, it'll do you more good than it would if you got a $5 a week raise. And he said, I got to thinking through that preacher and that taught me some things. Oh, listen to me. I've got off my message, but I just preached some good old stuff to you tonight as we need in our country today, brother. That's the truth. I'm saying we need some marks of conviction. Listen, I passed by back here tonight and one of the dads was wearing out his kid in the bathroom there. Before I come in here tonight, I mean, boy, he was giving it here. He's saying, boy, you're going to behave in church. And I mean, wham, 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 wham. That little fella, like he's going to die. His daddy said, I mean it. You understand it? One of the fellas says, look, listen there. I said, yeah, he needs it. I hope he gives it to him. Teach him a lesson. He won't run in and out. Let me tell you something tonight. You may have a young'un that may have a kidney problem. And that's a change. But all these young'uns running out right here ain't got kidney problems. The problem is dad or mom needs to follow them to the bathroom and go in. And if they don't have to go, bless God, next time they won't want to go. And you do that a little while. Listen, Dr. Malone says, you apply the board of education to the seat of learning and you'll get somewhere. Now, let me tell you, I mean this thing, brother. We've got too much of it. Running little junior wants to go. Bloom, here you go. How come is it to the same crowd all the time? Some young'uns never have to go out. Why? What's wrong? Well, well, if yours has got a problem, take them for sure. Don't look like a little fella here one morning when I told him not to get up from there and he jumped up and squealed around and said, I got, I said, get out quick. And so don't let it go that far. But I'm saying all of them don't, friend. And I'm saying what I'm saying is we need to get some marks settled down right now and let that young one know that I am the head of the house. You're not the head of the house. I'm the head of the house. And for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And brother, you get that settled, bless God, once and for all. And when they get up here to be teenagers, they say, Daddy... You're too old-fashioned and have learned better if you don't let me do so-and-so. I'm going to leave home say goodbye. Goodbye. You say, you hard, preacher. No, let him go. He'll come back. You take your stand and be consistent. Have some marks of convictions. That's what I'm talking about. Discipline, Bible reading in the home, and, and stand against some things. Listen to me. A Christian home should not have a problem with rock music in it whatsoever. Did you know that? There should be no problem in your home. You say, my little old fella is 14 years old and he runs after rock music. I can help you. Come to me after service. I'll tell you what to do. We'll break that little booger. Sure we will. 
Back yonder years ago, I was preaching it. I'll never forget, down Harold Fletcher's church. I don't know, 15, 20, oh, I don't guess it's been that long. Many years ago, and Harold and them had a, a meeting on Sunday night, and a whole lot of young people came and, and, and got right with God, and, and they said, Preacher, we don't need these old records and tapes anymore. We're getting rid of this junk. And uh, I preached on Monday and started the rest of the week. And Harold was rejoicing about it Monday night. And he said, now, if you want to see a burning, you come tomorrow night. After service, we're going to put a 60-barrel-gallon drum out here behind the church. And these kids have turned in their rock music and all. And we're going to burn it back there. And we're going to just praise the Lord. And I like to hear that. But again, the nudge in my heart. I preached for two or three nights. And I said, now, wait a minute. I've been trying to preach revival of you folk. I said, the young'uns got right last Sunday night. They burnt their records Tuesday night, but I ain't seen one of you parents come down the aisle and repent and get right for letting them have that junk in their home yet. Now, when a 13 or 14-year-old kid can go out here and buy rock music and bring in the home, you say, but that's his room. That's his privacy. You forget about Ann Landers and Abby, will you? And get back to the book. He or she don't have no private room. Dad and mom should know about all about their room, you see. And if you find any that junk in their room, you let them know, brother, that things are going to be changed. And you get them straightened out right then. And you don't have any problems near on out if you'll do that. But it's got to start in the home. That's what I'm talking about. It's got to start in the home. The reason the young people have gone to the devil is because we parents have had no convictions. Not every time, but most of the time, that's been it, my friend. So we need to have some Bible convictions. Well, let me give you these three and I'll quit. It's nine o'clock. I'm talking about marks that we ought to have in our life where we'll get the eternal prize if we stand for them. Marks of being saved, the conversion, marks of convictions, and marks of consistency. Consistency. That means a lot, friend. Listen, people are looking for somebody who's the same yesterday as they were yesterday. Uh, I mean, the same to, uh, yesterday or today or whatever. Every day, just being consistent. The same thing Monday as you are on Sunday. Be consistent. Be consistent. We get upset because we can't win the world overnight if we get right with God. But the world don't know that we got right with God. It's going to take some time, a long years, to let them know we are right with God. So mark it down. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be consistent. And I could say things about it. Then let me give you another quickly. The mark of contentment. Of contentment. You see, the world is not contented. And Christian, if we're not contented, they're not going to be contented. And we need to be contented people. Preacher, how do you be contented? Just be happy with what God's give you. Just thank Him for it. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content, Paul said. But I don't have this, I know, that's it. And you're not accepting what God's give you. See, be content, be thankful for what you do have, you see, and be content and realize you're not great. You're that if you if you'll be grateful for that, he might give us more. So learn to be a contented Christian. Those people I had on the job, they're looking for somebody that's content, that's happy, that's satisfied. It's not trying to get something else and look somewhere else and jump here and jump yonder and jump everywhere else all the time. Just learn that I'm going to by the grace of God. I want the mark of contentment in my life.
I wish I had time to preach on these, but this is a one that's very important. And that's the mark of compassion. We can be firm and straight, and yet we've got to have compassion. Compassion is not compromising. Compassion, somebody said, is love in action. And I think that's it. Jesus was moved with compassion. When he looked around and saw the people as sheep that had no shepherd, and they fainted, Jesus was moved with compassion. When Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, he cried. He wept over them. Paul was compassionate. Paul said, remember how that I've warned you night and day for three years with tears. He was a compassion. Moses was compassionate. Went up there on the mountain. And to come back and the people had their idols and were serving them. God said, Moses, get out of the way and I'll kill them. Moses stood and pleaded and said, God, if you're going to blot out them, blot out me too. A man of meekness and compassion. Jeremiah was a man of compassion. Listen, friend, compassion is kindness. That's what I'm talking about. And let's don't get kindness and convictions and compassion and convictions. Don't get them mixed up. Be kind, but be consistent and have convictions. And your people can see. Those are marks that we need as Christians. I thought about J.C. tonight. Martha's doing fine. I'm so glad she is in the hospital. And J.C.'s been consistent for probably 26 years leading our singing. Now, he could have said, I've got to go sit with my wife tonight. And if it had been some of these members around here, you wouldn't have seen them anymore until their wife got back to church. Now, they'd go to, they'd go to work and leave her, but they, they just couldn't come to church and leave her, you see. But I think he realizes the one who he's depending on to heal his wife, and this was his place. Brother, that'll pay off. That'll pay off. His three young'uns see that. Don't you think they don't? They see that. Sure they do. And yours will too. My dad and mom goes to church. It looks like anything happened. My dad and mom goes to church. I guess one of the greatest compliments. I went up to the other night to preach at Little Mountain. And a fellow walked up to me and said, Your boy. Sure does believe you're a good Christian. I appreciated that. I'd rather for my youngins to believe that I believe something and stand for it. If I can't leave them a dollar, that'll be the greatest thing that I could ever leave in the same way with you. Let's have that consistency. Marks, I press towards the marks for the prize that one day I can get a trophy that will not pass away. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.